the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, um, welcome everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, this is uh, Al Fadi. I'm your host uh, for this um, episode of Let Us Reason. I hope you've been enjoying this series that we've been going through for the last few weeks now on a contrast between the God of Islam and the God of the Bible. And as I mentioned last week, that I will continue to focus on it, but from different angles. Last week, we started it to look at this comparison between the God of the Bible and the God of uh, the Quran from the uh, angle of sin and salvation. And we um, learned last week Uh, that even though Muslims in general deny the idea of the existence of the original sin and sinful nature, some of their own traditions, especially in the Hadith collection, actually uh, disagrees with that and admits that uh, there is an original sin and there is also a sinful nature uh, that separates man from God, agreeing, therefore, with the the doctrinal um, uh, teaching of the Bible. Today we're going to continue uh, to um, talk about sin and salvation from the Islamic side of uh, things and also uh, contrast that with the biblical view. Um, The uh, Islam obviously uh, put a lot of emphasis on works as the mean to save oneself. Therefore, the agent of salvation in Islam is usually the person himself, depending on how good the person is and the amount of good deeds that they can accumulate. Uh, here is one uh, of the Islamic scholars. His name is Muhammad Assad. This is what he stated. As there is no hereditary sin, there is also no universal redemption of mankind in the teaching of Islam. Redemption and damnation are individual. Every Muslim is his own redeemer. He bears all the possibilities of spiritual success and failure within his heart. So it's very clear here that Islam contradict the redemptive plan of God in the Bible where we are in need of a Savior, a Redeemer, that can rescue us from our body of death, our sinful nature. Now, a Muslim might be quick to point out to you that the Bible in Ezekiel 18 talks about the fact that the son is not responsible for the sin of the father and the father is not responsible for the sin of of the Son, and therefore it doesn't make sense that Jesus is responsible for our sin, I think there is some sort of a misunderstanding here. Uh, individually speaking, yes, each one of us is responsible for his own sin, but the Bible clearly stated that we are already separated from God, that we have no hope of making it to heaven to be in the presence of God anymore, that only in Christ we can find our way back to heaven, that we are redeemed 
And as Christ being our perfect sacrifice, that's the only way that our sin, the wages of our sin has been paid for, and there'll be no death, meaning at least we earn eternal life. Now, maybe we die in the body, we're still going to die, but we are guaranteed eternal life. Uh, So uh, Islam obviously is completely against this idea of inheriting original sin, yet the Bible in Romans 5.12 tells us clearly that we did inherit sin, and the evidence of that is that the wages of sin are death. Adam sinned. He was separated from God. He died. We come from the lineage of Adam. We all die. Therefore, we are all sinners. It's, a, it's an excellent way to basically argue back against the idea that there is no sinful nature in mankind. Otherwise, why do we all die, basically? So, another Western scholar, um, his name is Hava Lazarus Yafe. He's an Israel, a scholar from Israel, basically. He expressed a surprise that even though Jesus is mentioned numerous times in various ways with high regard in the Quran, uh, nowhere that he is actually described as a savior or redeemer. You see, uh, the Quran uh, does talk about Christianity and Christ, but it denies certain elements of his work. It denies the crucifixion. That's essential for the blood atonement. It denies his resurrection. That's essential for our justification. Therefore, it denies his redemptive work. He came to do the will of him who sent me. The Father is the one who sent him as the perfect sacrifice to die and redeem the world back to himself. Those who believe in this act of grace on the cross by faith are saved. So, this is what he's saying. It says, it seems that Islam basically felt no need for redemption and therefore did not develop this notion, nor in its beginning, in the Quran, nor in the later theology, progressively speaking. So Islam always denied the idea of the need for a savior or a redeemer. Another thing we need to look at. Now, the word salvation in the Bible, uh, yes, uh, if you do a study on uh, salvation in a variety of forms, uh, whether it's the verb form, save, or noun form salvation. Um, nevertheless, you are going to discover that uh, some of it apply to spiritual, basically, salvation, meaning being saved from our sin, being rescued to uh, reconcile with God. Others, usually it is used in a physical uh, way, meaning being saved from harm, from uh, uh, an attack, from an army, uh, from so on, uh, someone who's trying to inflict physical harm on you. But the word does have a use for spiritual also rescue and redemption. Nevertheless, and that's the essence of the work of Christ on the cross, is to redeem us, spiritually speaking, by paying the wages of our sin on the cross and atoning for our sin by His blood and justifying us before a holy and a just God by His resurrection. When it comes to the Quran, the word salvation used in an essence of spiritual salvation and leading to heaven one time only by Moses in an argument that he was making with Pharaoh in chapter 40, uh, that's the, the chapter of the believers, that's the, its translation in English, chapter of the believers, chapter 40, verse 41, he is saying, speaking to his people, and saying to them, basically, and whoever, in verse 40, I'm going to put it in context, chapter 40 in the Quran, verse 40, Moses is saying, whoever does an evil, does an evil act, basically. He shall not be 
recompense, uh, basically, or recovered for, but the like of it, okay? And whoever does good, whether male or female, and he is a believer, you see, there's a condition. You can do good. You could be a good atheist if you want, but Islam doesn't acknowledge you until you're a believer in the God of Islam. They shall enter the garden in which they shall be given sustenance without measure. So the condition here is, first, you're a believer and you do good. Only then you have the hope to enter. Okay? And then he proceeded to say, And, O my people, how is it that I call you to salvation, basically spiritual rescue, salvation to heaven, and you call me to the fire, meaning to do evil, therefore to go to the hell fire. This is the essence here that we are reading about. Now, when we look at the use of the word save or uh, rescue or escape, uh, we discover that the vast majority of the use here has nothing to do with spiritual, but all of it has to do with a physical. So, the physical salvation is used 52 times. The spiritual salvation in Islam is used one time only. Notice, one time to denote physical, uh, spiritual salvation, and that's in the story of Moses. It has nothing to do even with Christ. But when it comes to a physical sense of salvation or rescue, it is used 52 times in the Quran, 11 times related to Moses' deliverance of the Israelite people from Pharaoh's bondage and his slavery. Eight times related to Noah's escaping the flood. Eight times related to Lot's deliverance from Sodom and Gomorrah's wrath uh, that uh, God basically uh, judged uh, Sodom and Gomorrah with. Eight times mentioned in the Pentateuch characters of deliverance, physical deliverance related to Moses' story and Exodus. Seven times it denotes deliverance from dangers of land and sea. Five times it was mentioned in relationship to apostles and believers' deliverance. Again, in terms of physical deliverance and rescue. Four times it talks about deliverance physically from a future judgment, like in chapter 19, verse 72, chapter 39, verse 61, chapter 61, verses 10 to 14, chapter 70, verse 14. One time, it is a reference to deliverance, physical deliverance from evil people's ways, okay? meaning the evil of people, basically, that can inflict physical damage on others, so you're being rescued from that physical, um, basically, inflection on you and being rescued that way. So in this, in this sense, we can see that salvation from an Islamic point of view is really conditioned by belief, known as iman, you have to believe, plus works, this is deen, basically, application, you know, and then specifically the works of obedience. So you have to be a believer in the God of Islam. You have to have some sort of a works of obedience to the God of Islam. And in doing so, uh, therefore, uh, you are at least given some hope that you would be saved. 
And of course, uh, doing uh, an act of obedience uh, means that it has to be doing what is good and halal and avoid what is prohibited. So you cannot be just a good person. Like, for instance, you cannot be a good Muslim who wants to help a church. That's prohibited, even if your act was good to try, let's say, to give him money uh, to feed the orphanages, maybe a Christian orphanages, or give money to their Christian schools or something like that. Even though the act is good, but it goes against the will of the God of Islam. That's a prohibited thing to connect and help Christians or Jewish, uh, maybe uh, charity. But if it was done in obedience to the God of Islam by doing what is halal or permitted or avoiding what is haram or prohibited, that's the act of obedience that will entitle you to the possibility of being saved spiritually on Judgment Day. Not now, but later. So still you have to wait for the outcome. Uh, Let's take a quick look at that. For instance, you know, uh, in the Quran, uh, like chapter 7, verse 42, or chapter 18, verses 30 and 31, we read something to this extent. Those who believe, amenu, that's the word, those who believe and work righteousness, they will be companions of the garden. You see, there is believe plus work. Let's take a look at it differently. Chapter 3, verse 110. You are the best of peoples raised up for mankind. Speaking to the Muslim people, Muslim people are the best of mankind, basically, according to the God of Islam. You are the best of mankind. So you are the best of peoples raised up for mankind, enjoining what is right, right? Doing halal, forbidding what is wrong, avoiding haram, and believing in Allah. So notice, you are a Muslim, part of the people of who are the best of mankind, but still you have to sincerely believe in Allah. And the act of obedience to His, what is forbidding not to do it, or to do what He enjoined to you, that it's okay to do. If you do this act of obedience, this is the evidence that you believe in Allah, even though if you're called part of the Muslim community. And only then you have the hope of being saved. Another look at it, uh, chapter 19, uh, chapter of Mary, basically, chapter 19, verse 60 in the Quran. It says this, except those who repent, so there is repentance, and believe, you need to believe in the God of Islam and all that he commanded, including following the prophet of Islam and his model, and work righteousness, there is work included here, not just any work, specific work of obedience, If you do all these things and your repentance has been sincere and accepted by God, for those will enter the garden, which is paradise. So you really still don't have any guarantee that you will succeed in doing all these three things and be still sincere and acceptable. So this is why Islam always uh, forces its followers to continue to do the good deeds over and over and over again, simply because this will ensure that people can have a hope of always recovering from any of their um, uh, misguided actions, um, any of their um, uh, transgressions against God, any of their sinful uh, acts. And therefore, you can always accumulate good deeds with the hope that God is going to accept the works from you. Let's look also at another thing related to the God of Islam versus the God of the Bible 
um, also related to sin, but in this case, his relationship with sinners. Now, we know that the Bible says, while we were still sinners, God, uh, Christ died for us. In other words, God loves us so much that knowing that we are still sinners or continue to sin, he had no problem sending his son to die on the cross for us to give us the hope of salvation. It's not like God said, well, you're still sinners. I'm not going to send Christ to die for you. But if you stop sinning, then I'm going to send him to you. Okay, so how many times you hear people tell you, you know, I'm not really good enough for Christ because I sin and uh, I don't do good work. And therefore, I really can't really invite Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Well, Christ came actually for you if you feel this way. He didn't come for the healthy, but came for the sick. That's what Christ himself says. Nevertheless, let's look at how the God of Islam treats sinners. Does he love sinners or does he despise sinners? Well, what we're going to find just from a handful of survey here, that it's the latter. He despises sinners. Chapter 2 of the Quran, verse 190. Fight in the way of Allah against those who fight against you. But begin not hostilities. Why? Because Allah loves not the transgressors. Okay, well, someone might say, well, this is in a, in a battle, basically. God doesn't want you to be unfair and unjust when you're fighting. That's fine. Let's look at another one. Chapter 2, verse 276. Allah has blighted usury, meaning the interest, earning interest, and made almsgiving fruitful, blessed, basically, if you give in charity. Allah loves not the impious and guilty. So Allah does not like the guilty people. Chapter 3 of the Quran, verse 32. Say, obey Allah and the messenger. But if you turn away, Allah loves not the disbelievers. Okay, so if you stray away, even if you're a Muslim, by the way, if you stray away from the way of God, don't do the works of obedience, God is not going to like you for doing this, and he can inflict judgment and harm upon you, and you can end up finding yourself in the hellfire. Chapter 3 of the Quran, verses uh, verse 57, it says this, And as for those who believe, notice there is believe, and do good works, plus works, he will pay them their wages in full. That's God. Allah loves not the wrongdoers. So God doesn't love the people who transgress against him or the people that sin against him, but he loves those who are perfect, basically. So we know that, unfortunately, man is not perfect by any stretch of imagination, and therefore the cycle of seeking after pleasing God will continue if you are part of the Muslim theology because you are aware of the fact that you do not know if what you have done was pleasing to God or not. Now let's contrast this with the, um, uh, the God of the Bible and his view on sinners. John 3.16, obviously, is one of those that proves to us that God loves the world that is a sinner. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, to that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. See, this is the philosophy, basically. You're sinners, so God sent his Son to die for you. And that's the outcome, that you will have eternal life if you have Faith in His grace and His work. Romans 5, verses 6 to 10. This is where the passage reads. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for who? 
Not for the godly, but for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. How did he demonstrate his love towards us? In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is how God demonstrated his love for us, by sending Christ to die for us because we're sinners, not because we're perfect. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Notice, this is where salvation is. We shall be saved. Notice, we are already in the wrath of God, but we are rescued out of the wrath of God through him. Who's the him? That's Christ. In verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What a beautiful, basically, imagery here, that we were ungodly, That's why Jesus came to die for the ungodly. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us, demonstrating to us the love of God. And we are assured to be saved from the wrath of God and rescued from the wrath of God and given life through his life and his resurrection. And therefore, this is the assurance that we have now, not later. We have it now, the moment you believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you're listening to this, whether you are a Muslim or a non-Muslim, and you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I ask you to pray this prayer with me, asking him, saying, Lord, Lord Jesus, I submit myself to you. I ask you to forgive my sins and to be my Lord and Savior, to rescue me from the wrath of God that has been revealed and to basically enable me to have this eternal life that you have promised. If you prayed this prayer, congratulations, and I ask you to immediately connect with a church, with a body of believers, to study the Word of God, to grow in the Word of God, and learn how to become a mature believer, and share the joy of how God has transformed your life and how you used to be a sinner and ungodly in your behavior and how now you are, through the uh, the Spirit of God, you are now being taught by God how to become a person that is a testimony in everything you do related to the work of God in your life. And this is my invitation to any, including my Muslim people, This is the hope that we have in Christ. This is why I am a former Muslim and I'm a follower of Christ, because this is the hope that I have. This is what Jesus promised me. This is what God told me, that this is the only chance I have to be being rescued from the wrath of God that is guaranteed that I am already in it if I deny Christ. And therefore, no need for me to take that chance by denying his work on the cross and as a result of this, suffer the horrendous, eternal separation from God. Well, this is obviously a very interesting topic. We are going to continue in uh, the episodes to come along this line of comparing the God of Islam to the God of the Bible from the angle of sin and salvation 
and also reward and heaven uh, per se. Um, I hope that you're enjoying this series. Feel free to, of course, share it with others, especially those that uh, you know from a Muslim community or others that do not know the Lord in general. And um, hope you find it a blessing. Uh, remember, you can always connect with me uh, by email uh, to uh, send, by sending an email to Sira Ministries. The word Sira, C-I-R-A Ministries, plural Sira Ministries at Gmail dot com. I am uh, your host, Al Fadi, and uh, I'm always uh, basically blessed uh, to reach out to you and uh, have a connection with you and help you in any way I could to um, present Christ to the people that do not know him. And I encourage you to always build those relationships with our Muslim friends and neighbors. Until we meet again, have a blessed week. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.